when you get digging in, it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you start chewing on a piece of steak and it just gets bigger and bigger as you're chewing it. It's like, man, it started off this big and now I feel like I got a softball in my mouth. You know what I mean? Uh, sometimes with the word you start chewing on it and that thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But uh, we believe that God's going to go ahead and uh, minister to us tonight as we're going to go ahead and continue what we started on. Don't talk about my daddy that way. And, uh, you know, an interesting thing, and I don't know if we've got it, but, but, you know, my daughter actually made her own graphic for this message. And, and so that's it up there. And, and she took the initiative of doing that all by herself. So I wanted to show you this graphic, too. Don't talk about my daddy that way. And, and it's, it, it's interesting. That just kind of came about by a conversation we were having about what I was preaching on. And... She just got on the, was it in, uh, Instagram? No, not Instagram. What's that thing called? Snapchat. Snapchat, thank you. One of those things. Uh, so Snapchat and came up with that all on our own. So we, we just had to have a little fun and have, have me a little dad moment and share that with you. You know, it's, a, it's just a beautiful thing to have, a, uh, uh, have your children brought up in the ways of the Lord and, uh, and to see them take their own initiative towards God and towards the things of God. Not, not trying to piggyback because you can't piggyback. Everybody's got to have their own. And so what a blessing it is to, to see children uh, taking their initiative in their own uh, walk with God and their own interest in the things of God. So I just shared that little daddy moment with you. But uh, let's do a little review of what we hit a few weeks ago. And I, I need to say this to you. This is very important. That, uh, and, and we're not selling CDs. As a matter of fact, the CDs are free. You can go ahead and get them tonight. And it's free on the, the, the podcast for you to listen to. But it is very important. If you were not here two weeks ago, I'm telling you, it's very important to hear that. Because that plus this is going to really uh, uh, equal uh, uh, some great insight and, and, and revelation into the Word of God and, and give you the ability to be able to, to see God's Word from a perspective that you might not have been able to see it before. You know, sometimes when you got the right set of glasses on, woo, things you couldn't see before now are just so crystal clear and, and obvious to you. And I believe that that'll be the case. But just to do a little review, we, uh, a few weeks ago we looked uh, at verses that seem to portray God as one who does evil. But then we looked at a multitude of verses that clearly show that God is not a supporter or a sponsor of evil. One interesting thing in Scripture, you know, so sometimes you could have uh, an instance like this where, where Job made the statement, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said that. Some genius, Einstein, decided to make a praise and worship song out of it. All right, a little sarcasm there. But, 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 but the, the thing is this, that Job was saying what his perception was of what took place, what he thought happened. But really, if you find out the, the details of what was going on behind the scenes, you see that it was Satan who had stolen his children and taken the lives of his children and afflicted him with boils in his body. So, so you know, Job thought 
what was going on was one thing, and he made a statement based on the best that he knew. However, what was going on behind the scenes was a little bit different. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, good to have you all in the house tonight. Missionaries from Mexico with Fire International. Love you guys. Glad you're here tonight. Um, but but I, I just wanted to put that out there because that's, that's a real good example of how you, you can look and say, well, the Bible says this, so this has got to be what the Bible's saying. But, but you're not just taking one piece of the puzzle. You're taking every piece of the puzzle to make sure that you have an accurate picture of what the Bible is actually saying and communicating, and especially what's being communicated about the character of God. Uh, we looked at... Uh, good and evil as being clear opposites and we saw that the lord over and over in scripture is referred to as being good and then you also saw a a pattern in the old testament of god very often taking responsibility or allowing himself to be identified as the cause of something that that he only permitted and we looked at uh, uh, several of those scriptures that, that in, indicate that pattern. Uh, or you might say it like this, that God is frequently said to do what he chose not to prevent. Did you catch that? That God is frequently said to do or said to have done what he did not prevent. But, but one portion of scripture that I want to look at real quick that I think uh, we looked at it two weeks ago, but I want to look at it again as we start tonight because I really believe that this helps to understand the, the way scripture is written and, and, and understand that, that sometimes it can look like God was the actual boom, the doer of something. And really, in reality, he was not the one who was the actual committer of the act, but the one who was allowing the act to take place. And one of the scriptures that I think uh, show that real clearly is Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 23. And uh, that's where it says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. So if you stop right there, who's going to strike the Egyptians? Well, the Lord. But we're going to keep reading. And uh, it says, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So when you first start reading the verse, it looks like the Lord is the striker. But then as you keep going, you see that it's not the Lord who's the striker, it's the destroyer who's the striker. And where the blood is on the doorpost and on the lintel, that's where the Lord will not allow the destroyer to come into those houses. And of course, there's a uh, several uh, sources of uh, information on, on this kind of subject. One is uh, Dr. Robert Young, who, who has uh, made this statement that, that in the Hebrew, that active verbs frequently express permission. Active verbs frequently express permission. They're active, so it looks like this, this is the person who's directly doing the thing, but it's an expre- ex- expressing a permission of doing it rather than the, act- the, the actual doer of the deed. Uh, E.W. Bullinger had a book called Figures of Speech used in the Bible, and he said this, that active verbs were used by the Hebrews to express not the doing of the thing, but the permission of the thing which the agent is said to do. And so getting some of these things into our hearts uh, can can be helpful as we're going through the Old Testament because sometimes, you know, if you don't 
interpret Scripture properly, you think, well, God was mean in the Old Testament and then got nice in the New. But that can't be the case because he never changes. That can't be the case because he's always the same. So therefore, obviously that's not true. So there's got to be something we're missing. And I believe that the Lord can give us some of those pieces that we're missing so that we can have a good, uh, well-balanced, healthy view of Scripture and thereby have a good, healthy, well-balanced view of his character and what he's really like. So that when we talk about him, we talk about him accurately. And, and we're not misrepresenting his character. Uh, or, or talking about him and blaming him for things that he does not do. Um, interesting thing, you know, Exodus 4.21 shows this. And, uh, uh, the, you know, we, we've often heard about, you know, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And this is a, a verse that, that uh, talks about that very thing. 421 says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Uh, uh, Rotherham has a translation of that. We're going to read that next. And it says, And Yahweh said unto Moses, When, when thou goest to return to Egypt, see, it's touching all the wonders which I have put in thy hand, that thou do them before Pharaoh, but I will let his heart wax bold, and he will not suffer the people to go, or not allow the people to go. So it's interesting, reading out the King James, you, you see the clear indication that God said, I will harden his heart. And, and out of Rotherham's translation, what we read, you see a little twist on that that says, I will let his heart wax bold. So, so he, I will allow him to get bold enough to say, oh yeah, you think you're going to go ahead and plague me out of this? I don't think so. I'm going to go ahead and keep on digging in and keep on holding on to your people rather than letting them go. And uh, once again, uh, uh, and, and if you look at some of the things we talked about the first week, I think you make the connection with this, that, that you have a case here where in this verse here in the, the New King James where it says that God, God's saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But then you've got multiple places, that, and, and I'm not going to give you the verses now, but you can look them up on yourself, where it spells out that Pharaoh was hardening his own heart. So who was doing it? Was the Lord doing it? Or was Pharaoh doing it? Because some cases it says, it reads right there in your Bible that the Lord did it. And sometimes you're going to read that was Pharaoh who's doing it. But, but, but the, the real truth of the matter is that, is that if you want to go the wrong way, the, the Lord will try to work with you. But if you really want to go the wrong way, he'll just let you go the wrong way. And uh, how many of your parents have had to do, do some of those tough moves? It's like, I, I know you're going the wrong direction, and, uh, and, and I know how this is going to end. It's not going to end good, but if you really want to go there, you can go there. You know, even the, the, the father of the prodigal son would, would rather not have had uh, half of his money spent the way it got spent. But he said, you really want to go that way, I'll let you go that way. And, and you know, there, there's something about the way that God deals with mankind where, where if you're going to go ahead and push the envelope and push the issue, God's going to say, that's what you want, go ahead. He did that with Israel. They wanted a king. They, we, we don't want to be, we want to be like everybody else. 
So God said, well, you won't be like everybody else? We'll let you be like everybody else. So understand that about the way that God deals. Where if you're pushing the envelope and, and wanting to go a certain direction, you know what God's going to say? You want to go there? I won't let you go there. And so I think understanding that uh, can be very helpful in, in understanding some of these difficult passages of Scripture. Now, um, by the way, there, there, there were several things in here that we just won't have time to cover tonight, but uh, I have already submitted my notes for, for the church website, so you'll be able to get in on some goods there, and we believe that that'll be uh, uh, a good help to you. But uh, uh, one of the other things we talked about a few weeks ago is that, that when God made the earth, that he turned over the keys. We looked at the parable Jesus told of the vineyard and, and that it was leased out. And, 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 you know, the, the lease for planet Earth ultimately was, well, at first was given to, to Adam. We understand that. That God gave Adam dominion over all the works of his hands. But unfortunately, something happened along the way. And Adam took the keys that he was given and gave them right over to the serpent. Whether he realized he was doing it or not, he did it. And, and, and then Satan ended up with some keys and, and uh, authority to be able to do things in the earth that was never God's intention to begin with. And uh, so that was the way that Satan became the god of this world and, uh, or the god of this age, as some translations say. And also uh, three times in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus referring to him as the ruler of this world. And I want to go ahead and give you a few more scriptures there because we think of, uh, we sometimes don't fully understand what happened and what kind of authority Satan got that, that he got from Adam. And looking at some of these scriptures, you, you'll see some of the influence and some of the, uh, the, 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 the power that, 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 that Satan ended up with because of that, that one very bad decision one day in the Garden of Eden. Hebrews 2.14 shows us this. And you look at the end of the verse. It says that, that he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So, so we see the devil is him who had the power of death. In Ephesians 2, 1-2, it says this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And uh, in which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So here you also see the, 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 the position that the enemy has as being the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. How many of you have run into a son of disobedience or a daughter of disobedience recently and you can testify truly this is the case? Don't be shy now. All right. Ephesians 6 verse 12. That shows us actual rank of evil spirits. It shows us that, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we, we see here that, that the, the devil and his uh, minions, the, his, his cohorts, his, uh, his evil spirits or demons, they have positions of authority here. 
How did they get that position of authority? They got that because Adam turned over the keys to them. And if Adam held on to the keys, Satan would have never had the keys. That old serpent would have never had the opportunity to do what he's been doing for, you know, about 6,000 years of human history here. This is a very interesting verse. 1 John 5, verse 19 says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Wow. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We need to really understand that. That's right there in the Holy Bible. And as we get a hold of that and understand that, then uh, there's things that that we might have thought that we'd put off on the Lord that that we're going to clearly see. Well, no, that's not the Lord's responsibility. That's not the Lord's will. That's not the Lord's original intent. And never the way he wanted it to happen to begin with. And it's interesting that, that one of the number one ways that Satan likes to keep people under sway is to influence how they think about God. Right. Woo! Yeah. One of the number one ways that Satan likes to keep people under his sway, under his, uh, uh, his influence, is to influence how they think about God. And he's been doing this right from the beginning. Because it was, it was that old serpent who mischaracterized what God was like right from the Garden of Eden when he portrayed God as one who was holding out. Right. Well, the Lord just don't want you to eat of this tree because he's trying to keep something from you. Yeah. He's he trying to keep you from having fun. You know, not the exact wording there, of course, but, but, you, but, but you get the, the connotation. The, the serpent was communicating, the Lord does not want you to eat this because he's trying to keep something from you. And I'm here to tell you about it, you know, to portray him as the bad guy, but I'm the good guy. What a dirty, rotten liar. Come on, somebody. And so he did it in the beginning, but I want you to know that old serpent has been doing his best to mischaracterize God ever since. And I would say, I hate to admit it, but he's done a pretty good job. But there's a whole lot of people that are bitter and, and against God, that, that are mad against God, that, that are uh, uh, making accusations against God. And I want you to know, he's the innocent party. That they're barking up the wrong tree. They're blaming the wrong guy. And it's interesting how so few people even consider. You know, you ask them, is there good and evil in the world? And they'll say, oh yeah, you know, they'll agree to that. But, 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 but it's interesting how often they'll attribute everything to God and hardly even breathe, uh, mention that there, there's an enemy out there, that there's a devil out there who's on the total opposite side of this thing from where God stands. Mm. But you know, one of the things that, that uh, is helpful for us to realize and will cause some of the lights to go click, you know, turn on and help us see the light. It's uh, the fact that the Bible is what you would call progressive revelation, which means that God didn't just lay it all out there all at once. It's not all out there in Genesis. 
You can read Genesis all the way through Malachi. You can read the whole Old Testament and it's still not all out there. You can read the Gospels and read about the life, the teaching, the miracles, the the death, the resurrection of Jesus and still not have it all. Because then you go to the epistles and the epistles serve, you see, the gospels are like a, 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 a picture of, of, of what happened to, to Jesus. But then when you get to the epistles, you're looking at 3D, you know, you're looking at uh, uh, x-ray vision. I mean, you're looking at the behind the scenes details of what happened to him and what happened to us when it happened to him. So the Bible is progressive revelation. That's an important thing for us to get. And and that as you go along, there's more that you know when you get to the Gospels than than we knew back from Malachi on back towards Genesis. And then you you get through the Gospels, but then there's, there's more that you know, even going into the book of Acts and into the epistles. And then you get to the Revelation and you find out how this thing winds up. By the way, the Bible, uh, in in the beginning of Revelation, this is just a little free thought for you. It doesn't say scared is the people who read this book. And it doesn't say confused are the people that read this book. It says blessed are the people that read this book. All right, a little plug for the book of Revelation right there. Amen. But I want to look at some scriptures that clearly lay out for us that God did not drop the revelation of everything all at once. This is very important to understand. And you'll understand the Old Testament better by understanding this. That that not everything was laid out at the time. And and you had people that were doing the best that they could do with limited information. Because they did not have the full picture. This is classic. Look at this. Romans 16. The words of Paul at the end of this epistle, he had verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, verse 26, but now made manifest. Oh yeah, are you with me? So this is a secret There was kept secret, a mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. Hallelujah. Matthew 13, 16 and 17. Jesus said, blessed are your eyes for they see. He's talking to the people around them. Your ears for they hear. Next verse. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to Hear what you hear and did not hear it. Why? Because God did not lay it out all at once. There was things that were being laid out there in the ministry of Jesus that weren't laid out previously. People's eyes were getting turned uh, uh, enlightened to the fact that, whoo, God, my father, they weren't used to viewing God that way. But, but Jesus, that's the way he talked about him. Not just in relation to him, but in the relation to the, the people he was teaching as well. He said, your heavenly father. So, so you see, there, there was a, a, another layer of the onion, shall we say, an, another dimension of, of God's truth and God's revelation that was revealed there that was not previously revealed. 
First Peter 1, starting with verse 9, it says, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, of this salvation the prophets have inquired, and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So this is talking about the prophets who prophesied ahead of time regarding what's happening in Christ, what, what's available in Christ, what would happen in and through Christ. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Listen to this. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things which angels desire to look into. So Peter's saying that, that what you've got now is something that the prophets ahead of time were talking about. But, but, but they, at first, they had to figure out that it wasn't, it wasn't for them. It wasn't for their time. It wasn't for their, uh, their, uh, uh, you know, time on the stage and time out in the, the spotlight. It wasn't for then, but it was for a future time yet to come that these things that they were prophesying were for. So you see, once again, the idea that God didn't just, boom, lay it out all at once. God laid it out in a progression. And the thing is, the way your Bible was laid out is not laid out in a way where you can just go ahead and say, all right, um, here's the section on love, and here's the section on faith, and here's the section on this and that and that and that. No, God expects us to be students who go and dig and find the treasure that's in the Word. God, God, God wants us to be hungry. I believe He's very intentional in the fact that He said, you want to know? You can find out all you want to know. How hungry are you? You can know all you want to know. How hungry, how thirsty are you for truth? Glory be to God. And as God's revelation progresses, we can now see his dealings with man more clearly. We see God, uh, you, you know, uh, the, the, what we talked about as far as the hardening of Pharaoh's heart a little bit ago, and, and, and how God would say, you want to go there? I'll just let you go there. You know, we see that, that sad theme happening a lot. We see over in Ezekiel, and these are verses that you find in your notes uh, on the uh, website. Uh, th- these are not going up on the screen right now. But you see God saying to Ezekiel, I gave them up to statutes that were not good. I just gave them up to something that, that wasn't good. I know it's not good, but, but they want it. They keep on going after it. Say, so you want to go after it? I'm going to let you go after it. You know, there was a time in the book of Hosea where God said, Ephraim is joined to his idols, let him alone. Whoa, strong language. Think about God just saying, you know, he's just doing what he's doing, leave him alone. You know, because God works and God works and God works. But then there comes a time, if you're going to ignore me, I, I, I hope you wake up and smell the coffee in enough time to come back and get some help. You know, think about the way that God works where, where Jesus in, in the book of Revelation uh, uh, talking to the, uh, one of the churches, talking about the, that woman Jezebel. 
How many of you remember reading that in Revelation chapter 2 or 3? Uh, he said, I gave her space to repent. Which means she wanted to go a certain direction. She was going a certain direction. I gave her space to repent. I wanted to see if it would change. And she didn't change. And so because the, the, the space ran out, God gave space. And she utilized every bit of that space with no intention of turning and repenting. Look what the Lord said. Ain't nothing else I can do but let you go ahead and have what you want and, and have the dreaded uh, results of it. I can't keep you from it. I tried to give you room to repent of it, room to change, but because you didn't, I have to just say, go get them. Go have what you want, even though it's not what I want for you. And so there's multiple uh, scriptures. You see Jesus even saying to the, uh, his disciples about the Pharisees, let them alone. They're just blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. He actually said, let them alone. And, and you see instances in Romans 1, three particular uh, verses in Romans 1 where it says that God gave them up to uncleanness or God gave them up to vile passions or God gave them over to a debased mind. Was that God's will and God's plan? No, God don't want people having a debased mind. God doesn't want people uh, uh, being uh, vile and defiled and, and all of the above. But, but the thing is, the Lord said, you want to go there and you're going to keep on pushing the envelope and forcing the issue? You want to go? Go. But the thing is, is that there is not a vindictiveness with God. Even when somebody's getting turned over or let loose, hey, you want to go there? I'll let you go there. But the thing is that the heart of God is always uh, uh, desiring for, for the turnaround. The heart of God is always desiring that, that the end of that thing would be a happy ending. You know, there was a case where Paul turned some guys over to Satan and he said this, that they would learn not to blaspheme. He said they pushed the issue and pushed the issue and pushed the issue. So I had to go ahead and let them go into the hands of the enemy. Not that God put them there. They put themselves there by what they were doing. But the thing is, God's heart was that they would learn not to do it. That God's heart was that they would learn that what I'm doing is not working. I should stop doing this and start doing something else. That's what repentance is. Repentance is you stop doing what you're doing. You stop going the direction you're going. And you do a U-turn and you go the other way. Come on. And, and then the, the guy that was shacking up with the stepmother over in 1 Corinthians 5. And, and, and Paul was dealing with this situation and he said, I, I've turned this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You know, we, we, we just had, you know, he was, he was obstinate. He was just going to do what he's going to do. So we had to go ahead and let him go into the hands of the enemy. But what's the heart of God? Uh, he, he might suffer now, but, but I've got my eyes on the prize. I want to see this man saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And, and most people believe that in 2 Corinthians, that there's a reference to this particular man, a veiled reference, not a real specific reference, but the fact that he may have very well repented and got back into fellowship with God and fellowship with the church. That's a good, happy ending to have. You see, understand the heart of God in his dealings with man. 
Because you see, sometimes you read things and it looks like, well, that, that God is just all, all business. Boom. And, uh, you know, there, there's scriptures that if we read by themselves without the whole rest of the context of scripture, it leaves you with one impression. That's why it's important that, that we not just go ahead and focus in on, on what one verse of scripture says, but look at it all together. And these are some verses that will give you some inclination of the heart of God in dealing with people. Psalm 78 verse 41, he says this, Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Imagine that you would limit God, that there would be something that God wanted to do, something that God wanted to accomplish in you and through you, and that he was limited from doing what he really wanted to do. Don't you know that was the case in Jesus' hometown? Where Jesus went there, and because of familiarity, they said, well, we know you, we know your brother, your sister, your mother, your dad, we know your cousins too. And it said that he could there do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Limited from what he could do there. Oh, may God never be limited in our lives. Come on. Hosea 13 verse 9 says this. God said, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. This is the, uh, 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 the uh, King James that I'm reading here. But New King James, O Israel, you are destroyed. The King James says, O Israel, you've destroyed yourself. But in me is your help, or your help is from me. Thank God for that. You know, because a lot of times, you know, we, you, know you, you might want to blame God. But then if you get a little insight into the fact that God's not doing all the things he gets accused of, then you want to blame the devil. And sometimes it's just flat us, the person in the mirror, who's blown it. You know, the devil got a little help from us, <laughs> or a lot of help from us, because he's going to just come in and just do it without our allowing it or without our permitting it. And so a lot of times we just have to look at the person in the mirror and say, I let this happen. But at those times, thank God, we can say, in God is my help. Consider the heart of God. You see, this is, this is about understanding what our daddy's really like here. Matthew 23, the, the, the cry of Jesus as he's looking over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. What can he do about that? What can he do about that? That's a case where he so wanted to do something. It was in his heart to do something. It was his will to do something. But the people for whom he wanted to do it were the ones who were not willing. So this gives you a picture of the heart of God. And one thing about the heart of God, if this is true about God now, this was always true about God. You see, we can't say, well, you know, and I, I understand that God had to deal with mankind differently in different dispensations. And, and we, we understand that, that God could not deal with man under the law the same way he could after Jesus died on the cross and settled the issue and put his blood in the heavenly holy of holies. Hallelujah. 
You know, that God uh, had, uh, uh, could not deal with man exactly the same way because of the fact that Jesus had not yet come and fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled. Yet at the same time, the heart of God has never changed. The heart of God has always been the same. His desire for man, his love for man has always been the same. There is not the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There's only one and he's always the same. And you got to check this out. James chapter 1 verse 17. You want to go ahead and think about daddy the right way, talk about daddy the right way, check this out. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Wow. Not just the fact that he's the giver of every good gift and the giver of every perfect gift, but that he's always been that way. And he will always be that way. There is no variation or shadow of turning, the least bit of possibility that he might do something different. No, this is the way he does things. It's the way he has done things. It's the way he does things now. And it's the way he forever will do things. Hallelujah. That's showing you the heart of God. Now, what about this thought about progressive revelation? If we can get back to that for a minute. What else does it show us? Well, you know what? This is one very interesting thing. That as the Bible goes on in the Old Testament, you see some references to Satan and the evil spirits. But nowhere near as much as you do when you get to the New Testament. And the New Testament, there's a whole lot of mention about Satan and about evil spirits. In the Gospels and all throughout the epistles and of course the book of Revelation as well. There, there's a whole lot of mention about Satan and his activity, what he's like, how he works. Things that were not necessarily laid out in that same way, in that same, uh, uh, you know, uh, ease of understanding and grabbing the, the concept in the Old Testament, but in the New, there's a whole lot of mention and a whole lot more detail that was not uh, included in the Old Testament. So progressive revelation is also uh, not just clearly seen there, but it's clearly seen in the fact that the New Testament now identifies Satan as the afflictor of mankind. You know, if you just read the Old Testament alone, you get the, the idea that that but it looked like God was the afflictor. If you just read the Old Testament alone, you know, it looked, and, and not, not aware like we discussed of, of the fact that God is being said to have been the, the committer of an act that he was only permitting and, and the, the scriptural precedent that we have for that. And of course, I refer mostly to week one, so you can go ahead and look at examples of that. But, but, but you see, now in the New Testament, the, there, there's no mistake in it. There, there's, no, uh, there's no wondering about it. It is clearly laid out what the devil's like, especially when it comes to afflicting mankind. And if I can get very specific, especially when it comes to afflicting mankind with sickness and disease. You see, you, you got God's original creation, the way things were in the beginning. You know, the end of Genesis 1, God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. <laughs> that was before the serpent came on the scene. 
But then we know that the serpent did come in the scene. Romans 5.12 says this, that therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. That was Romans 5.12. And the thing is, is that that, uh, that particular verse there, what that shows you is that uh, uh, death came through sin. What kind of death is that? That is spiritual death. But also through spiritual death was the means whereby every other kind of evil came into the world. Spiritual death was the moment when Adam and Eve and, and that act of disobedience were separated, cut off from their fellowship with God. And then as a result of that, every other evil came into the world through spiritual death. Uh, we, we see an interesting insight in Genesis uh, uh, 2 in verse 17 out of the Young's literal translation and it says and of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou dost not eat of it for in the day of thine eating of it dying thou dost die dying thou dost die and you know a more modern translation of that might be in dying you will die which means there was an immediate death followed by an eventual physical death so for Adam, that meant an immediate spiritual death. And 930 years later, a physical death. Something that was never, ever in the plan of God for mankind. And that's the moment when physical imperfection began. Because God's original creation, what was it? God saw that it was very good. So this is the moment where spiritual death came in. And everything bad that came along with spiritual death came in at the same time including any kind of physical imperfection, weakness, sickness, disease, the works. Now, when does physical imperfection end? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at the end of the book. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here we go. He's finally got what was coming to him. He's now baking in the lake. Now, that he's tied up, what are things like? What are things like regarding the things that we had to deal with here in this life? The, the things that, that, that were around, that, that we were highly suspicious had something to do with that old serpent. Well, check this out. This is Revelation 21.4. And the Amplified Classic Edition says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be anguish, sorrow, and mourning, nor grief, nor pain anymore. For the old conditions and the former order of things have passed away. So we look at the way God made it in the beginning, and we look at the way it is at the end. So before the serpent comes on the scene, there's none of that. There, there's, there's no imperfection. There, there's no sickness. There's no disease. There, there's no death. Everything God made was very good. And then the serpent comes on the scene. And as long as the serpent's around, you got death. You got sickness. You got trouble. You got this. You got that. All the things that came with spiritual death. All that mess. But then, whoo, 
Then that old serpent's thrown into the bottomless pit, and he's going to bake there forever and ever and ever. What's life like after that? The, the very minute following, there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. The former things and the former order of things whoop, have passed away. Welcome back to the tree of life, somebody. Hallelujah. That tells you something. So before Satan, no death, no sickness. After Satan, no death, no sickness, no pain. So sickness is only around as long as the devil's around. Coinkadink? I think not. Amen. All right. <laughs> hey, look at Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What a clear reference here that, that Jesus went about healing people who were oppressed by the devil. And whatever the way they were oppressed, they were, uh, uh, the, uh, whether they were uh, sick in their body or, or whether they were possessed with the spirit or whether there was a case of both. Because there's times where people had a spirit of infirmity in them. And, uh, uh, and Jesus healed them. Check this out. This is Luke 13. Amazing portion of scripture here. All right, I want to see how much more I got to go. Oh, Lord. All right. Luke 13. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. They were starting here with verse 10, verse 11 now. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Whoa, what a way to live life like this. Bent over and could in no way raise herself up. And was in that condition, bound by that dumb spirit for 18 years. Verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, everybody's getting mad because Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day. And Jesus gets into some further discourse with them. But, the, but then he makes this statement in verse 16. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. So this is Jesus, the head of the church, identifying Satan as being the source of the affliction that afflicted this woman. My, my, my. Look at Matthew 9. 32 through 33, you got another case of a, 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 a spirit and a, a, a physical defect working together. Uh, 9.32 of Matthew, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a, a man mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never seen like this in Israel. Hallelujah. And of course, what did Jesus come to do? Well, 1 John 3, 8 said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you glad about that? But as we wrap up tonight, I want to focus in on this. And this is very, very important to what we're talking about and to your understanding of the Holy Bible. That if you want to know what God the Father is like, 
Look at Jesus. So all of your misconceptions about what the Father's like can all be cleared up very easily if you look at Jesus. And here's the reason why. Hebrews 1. Verse 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, now verse 3, right at the beginning of verse 3, you see, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now, in several other translations, I want you to, to read that, that phrase. Uh, Philip's translation, it calls him the flawless expression of the nature of God. The flawless expression of the nature of God. The amplified uh, classic, he's the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. The complete Jewish Bible says this, that he's the very expression of God's essence. Wow. Here's the message. This son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. New Living Translation. He expresses the very character of God. New American Standard. The exact, exact representation of his nature. Wow. In other words, you want to know what the Father's like. You want to know what God the Father's like. Look at God the Son. And it's been said, and I like the statement, I'm going to hold on to this one. That Jesus is perfect theology. (laughs) Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to get it right, look at Jesus. If you want to make sure that you're on track, look at Jesus. Because Jesus demonstrated for us with exact precision what the Father's like. Which will help clear up any misconception that you might have of what the Father's like. Because the scripture says that Jesus is the exact representation of him. This is plastered throughout the Bible. This is Colossians 1, 15, now the Amplified Classic. It says, now he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. Woo! <laughs> exact likeness. The visible representation of the invisible. We always wanted to know what God was like. And now here's God manifest in the flesh. Living out, talking out. Acting out, breathing out exactly what the Father's like. This very same verse in the Message Bible. We look at the Son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. You want to see the way God always wanted it to be on earth? Look at how Jesus lived on earth. You want to see the the heart of God towards fallen mankind? Look at Jesus' interaction with people, and you will see God's purpose, God's heart revealed towards mankind. 
How about these words of Jesus, which is plastered especially all over the gospel of John. John 5, 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, whatever the Father's done, does, the Son also does in like manner. Wow. Are you ready for more? Yeah, there's more. But wait, there's more. John 5, verse 30. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus was not going and doing his own thing. He was doing the thing that the Father put him here to do. Hallelujah. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven once again, not to do my own will, but the will of him that, who sent me. And this is a discourse out of John 14 that, that is very, very fascinating. Listen to this. Of course, 14, 6 is a, a, a verse that every believer needs to know well. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, check this out. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Glory to God. You cannot make that any more clear than what we've just read here in the last few minutes. If you want to know the Father, Jesus said, take a look at me. And as we wrap this up, I want you to see this, that Jesus distinguishes between how he does things and how the enemy does things. And you're so, so you see, sometimes, and especially with the, 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 the language used in, in, the, in the Old Testament and some of the, uh, for lack of a better term, some of the uh, idioms that, that are used in the, in the Old Testament, uh, that there's sometimes where the line is not perfectly clear as far as, all right, what's God doing and what's God not doing? And that's why we, we really took some time to get into that in our very first lesson a few weeks ago. But Jesus made some statements that would just perfectly clear, clear it up once and for all so that we can understand uh, the difference and, and who's on which side of the fence and who's doing what and who's not doing what. Luke 9, verse 53 to 56 so they were going through this village of the Samaritans, and it says, verse 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Wow. Verse 56, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, 
but to save them. And they went to another village. See that? that that's just amazing. That, that's a, a clear distinction that Jesus made between how he operates and how other spirits operate. You know, uh, and, 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 and of course, what John and James were referring to was a very literal thing that did take place in Scripture, in history. But the thing is, is that Jesus comes back and says, you know what, uh, you, you, you think that this is a, a game who we can shoot down today? That's not what I'm about. That's not what I'm about. What I'm about is not destroying men's lives, but saving them. And the ultimate, if you, if you can get something tonight, you heard 2020 vision? This is called 1010 vision. Are you ready? It's 1010 vision because it's in John 1010. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If there's a clear dividing line and something that can be just drawn for the ages to say, all right, who's doing what? Stealing, killing, and destroying? It's the thief. Life and life more abundantly, it's Jesus. And if we can take this, what we've heard tonight, and apply it in our own reading of Scripture, apply it in our own view of God, and in the way we talk about God to others, and the way we represent God to others, if we do that, then you won't have anybody like me with my hand on my hip saying, don't you talk about my daddy that way, because you will be talking about your daddy in a way that is accurate and right and represents him well. Can I hear you say, praise the Lord tonight, amen. Let's pray. Father, we honor you tonight. We're so blessed, so blessed to call you Father and to know you. And Lord, to get into your word tonight, so rich and so precious to us, and we're, we're so thankful. Lord, tonight in this place, anybody that does not know you as Father, they need to know you. And I pray that they're not leaving this place without receiving this wonderful opportunity.